Hey everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Erie, Tim Stafford, so glad you're tuning in today. We are still um, in the middle of wrestling through the just afterglow of, of the Pearl Jam episode. It has been probably the most remarkable piece of art ever released, ever. And we've received one email of affirmation. So thank you, Lita, for uh, affirming our efforts in that regard. It was regard. a full day of lamentation. That went out Wednesday morning, the morning that I was supposed to see them in Sacramento for their first show in Sacramento in 21 I years. I know. I know. And they canceled that afternoon. I know, because of COVID. It was a full Damn Pearl Jam day. It was a roller Damn you, coaster. COVID. Damn you, COVID. Um, I want to thank, I want to thank Tara and I want to thank Mill, Mill, man, I've been mixing up letters. Will and Marguerite. Mealy Wake. Yes. Will and Marguerite for joining our Patreon team. Thank you so much. We're a crowdfunded 501c3. So, so grateful for your, um, your participation in that and your generosity and uh, today, I think what we want to do, um, Stafford, is is let's sort of marinate a bit on the whole culture war thing. That episode that we did was was good and raised a lot of questions. But I feel I don't know about you, man. I feel I feel insufficient. You know what? I was just thinking that because of the fact that you said marinate and how marinate is such a positive thing that brings flavor. But when we th- I think about the culture war stuff. Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily appetizing. We need extra flavor. We need extra flavor. I, I feel like we need a marinade. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I, obviously, yeah, it could be a dry rub for sure. <laughs> but I think the steak of culture war conversation needs a marinade. Yeah. And uh, my wife uses Yoshida's. She loves it. Mm. But I'm thinking a different flavor. I'm thinking something a little more international. Well, I guess Yoshida is, is international. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe a little more non-international. But um, I'm wondering, I'm just wondering uh, if uh, our good friend Tim Gombas is like what he's doing. Right whoa. Now. I just, whoa. whoa. What's whoa. the deal? That was so How fast. In, How did I pop in here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting on my patio, sitting in the sun, reading about Phil Mickelson, my new book about yes. Phil Mickelson. And... I pop in with you guys. What's the deal? Oh my goodness! What oh, is going on? I forgot to ask you. Did you see what book is what uh, memoir is coming out in November? No. What's that? Bono. Oh. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Life through wow. songs. Like he's using different songs oh, to narrate yeah, yeah. sections of his life. So it's a memoir, yeah. but he kind of has a. Interesting. Oh. Okay. I love memoirs. Yes. I yes. love biographies and all that kind of stuff. It's I just love so memoirs on Audible. Listening to people when the author reads their memoir listening to somebody oh, narrate yeah. their own yeah 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 interesting um, that'll be good road trip material yes gambus uh, <clears throat> is now a good What's time up, fellas <laughs> this is great that was a great time oh so <laughs> got nothing so going on my yeah my question for you is you have two wonderful cats Keep sitting in the sun and besides taking care of them have there been any big highlights this week anything great that's happened any any like um, emails that were sent or received? Yeah, uh, I had one of the highlights of my life. So normally I'd be more excited to talk to you guys. This would be like a real highlight. Um, anything and everything that happens 
in my life after what happened to me this last week is just the shine is off. It, I, I've hit the high point right after this happened. I texted my, uh, you know, the five of us, we have a, probably like a lot of families have a constant text yep. conversation going on. I texted the kids and Sarah was like, y'all I'm done. I'm leaving public life. <laughs> Punching my out. ambition is dead. I don't want to accomplish anything for the rest of my life. I don't want to achieve anything. I'm out. So, um, was anyone in the family as excited as you for this? Oh, totally. Or? They know what they okay. know what this okay. meant. So they love they you, and they oh, showed totally. love by being excited for you. Oh yeah, this is the bit they know how significant this is. So there's one podcast that I listen to, um, without missing an episode. Voxology. That's right. And so that that's why this is so meaningful. <laughs> we'll read your emails. We'll read your emails on there. No, no. What? Tim, I we, listen to the Tony Kornheiser show. Yes. Uh, every episode. And I, um, you know, I used to watch the PTI program with uh, Tony and Mike Wilbon uh, religiously with my boys when they were still living mm. at home. So they know they know what what this meant to me. So, yeah, I uh, I emailed Tony and uh, he read my email on the podcast, said my name. He said my name. I can't tell you what that meant. I uh, was visiting my sister in Virginia uh, for a couple of days, playing golf with my brother-in-law. And uh, I was driving all the way back to Michigan, 12 hours, long trip, you know, like every time, like or like Oof. every day. I was wide awake, 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, all right, Oof. I'm hitting the road. Just do it. But this is like 3.45 in the morning. I hear Tony get to the mailbag at the end of the show. And he reads my email. And I about... <laughs> drove off the road in you know western just virginia a shot, that was there a it. shot of adrenaline at that moment oh my word totally yeah i had to rewind it i was like what what's the deal i couldn't believe yeah. it could not yeah. it was totally unexpected wasn't even thinking about it just listening to it you know to kind of stay awake or just to pass the time but yeah yeah big deal big deal so everything and everybody um and all my experiences are going to be a disappointment from here on out and that's all right nice i've hit the big time so anyway. now now what would you say okay so this was an email which is great but I, I would assume conversation is better right being a live voice on the show yeah they don't do that though they they have guests but they don't you know yeah. it's not a call-in because it's a totally. podcast you know totally. what I mean? no, no no i get that but i'm just yeah. saying like on the pantheon of glory oh like call-in versus yeah email writing. in yes man that's a tough one I, yeah, I, I would rate them equally. Perfect. You know, especially when, you know, you make a, you just make a solid point and they're like, yeah, like they, you just really kind of, you know, <laughs> impress them. Is there one particular point that you, that you made that stands out where Colin or Tony was like, dude, come on. <laughs> All right. So, um, cause I know you have one setting in your brain. ego aside. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a couple. So one time, one time Colin was talking about, uh, Phil Jackson and his relationship with Kobe Bryant. Mm. And I, I, I just, boom, get in the car call. And, um, I started talking about how, uh, Phil Jackson as a coach of the bulls, coach of the Lakers, uh, you know, coaching big personalities who were sort of go it alone players like Kobe and Michael Jordan, how he uh, taught both of those players 
um, you know, the importance of team play and including their teammates. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, he had talked Michael Jordan into um, stop going after scoring titles, but to start, you know, going after wins and John Paxson's in the the corner, man. Dish it. Yeah. Pax with the three later, Steve Kerr. Yep. And uh, later, Oh no, this was earlier. This was like in 2009, right when Tiger Woods went through all his trouble. Mm. And um, he was drawing parallels between Michael Jordan and um, Tiger Woods. And what did I do? Got in the car. Dude, of course. Auto dial. (laughs) Yep. And um, I love it's on auto dial. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the most called number. I hate talking on the phone. (laughs) And uh, uh, I, I, I made the connection of how, you know, Jordan's a lot of his trouble and a lot of Woods' trouble came when both of them lost their fathers, mm. you know, um, which, you know, were in, in many ways kind of guiding lights for them. So anyway, yeah, I, I don't, you know, that's, that's solid. Too, that's solid. So that's a memory from 2009. Obviously, there are some <laughs> things that are tucked away and some things that aren't. <laughs> Did you ever completely flub? I mean, I, I, on air, like outside of the one where you were like, uh, and then they didn't let you on. Any any stammering, any stuttering, no. any like dead dead air, nothing like that. No, no. I um, this is this is terrible. Um, I I remember hearing a um, I remember hearing a preacher say this a long time ago, <laughs> and, I, and I took it to heart. Um, he said, you know, when you when you get paid to talk you know, like you, you, you preach or you teach, you know, you can get good at talk Mm. and there's something sinister about that. Mm. And I, I, man, I heard that probably back in the nineties and I was like, man, I just want to always remember to be authentic Mm. being up in, you know, speaking in church or in class, um, to, to not sort of be so skilled at, at just talking about stuff that you're not, um, being completely yourself in those moments, being vulnerable, authentic, and inviting vulnerability and authenticity. Anyway, but what I realized is in, in getting on the radio is um, I'm good at talking. And so if you just like, I would get out of class. I'm like, man, I just was up there for 90 minutes just talking away. I know how to talk. You know, so kind of putting the positive spin on it or the, I don't know if it's maybe equally sinister. <laughs> and so I would just get in that zone of like, I know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to start talking. Yeah. You know, and just kind of like feel it, loosen the yeah. shoulders, let yeah. it rip. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Now, besides, besides harassing Tony Kornheiser, what else is going on in uh, Tim Gumbus's life these days? Oh man! Have the ha, for, how's the yard, and have the Midwestern yard games begun? The Olympic uh, sport that is keeping your yard oh, nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Bill, um, my uh, my yard is improving. It was a disaster last year. Yeah, and uh, I've taken a tip from my friend Steve. Ooh. Set the mower. I mean, I I've always loved a really clean cut lawn. So yeah. I, you know, I would set it low and just no, make it that, nice and that, tight. That facilitates That's bad weeds. News. My friend. That is yep. bad news. And I just yep. so I've <laughs> I've uh, set the mower high, and um, it's greening up. You got to protect the plant. You can't just chop it so low. You can't. So I mean, then you're having to water it all the time, and it damages the you know the plant. So um, yeah, Bill and Al 
yep. have not got uh, let in on that secret. So Al's Ooh, grass like is not looking so great. I'm not going to say anything to him. No, I've got, just, I've got a one up Al. Yeah. Bill, uh, after I cut yesterday, Bill is out cutting his grass because I think he feels. Yeah, he feels, feels the, the heat. heat. Yep. So I'm, um, it's looking good. Is there mulch? Have you mulched? It's looking good. I need to mulch. Okay. This mulch out here is like two it years feels old. Like, it feels like you're a little slow on that. I mean, by Memorial Day, things should have been mulched for a couple of weeks. But no, I believe that. Okay. I firm that in theory okay that's great it's just um yeah this is it's not looking good but you know i live on a busy street and people go flying by yeah sounds like whatever yeah but it's <laughs> you know? not but listen it's not them you're trying to impress it's it's bill and then tim bill and, al. and then al yeah and and, and if i remember correctly <clears throat> al dumped a bunch of chemicals from the walking path oh yeah when they were snowing into your, your yard and i just i, I want to know if it yeah. recovered yeah it's looking fine okay al's um meddling we'll call yeah. it his yeah. meddling has not had consequences that's good man uh so yesterday i was tilling up the garden because sarah's making big plans for a, a garden this year yeah. tilled it up i was so wiped out cut the grass did some of the yard work and i'm tilling and i, I was so tired drained and out comes al and oh, he, he just wants he wants to kibitz and i'm yep. not i'm not a kibitzer <laughs> nope i'm a non-kibitzer nope. it's the worst it's the worst of all possible worlds for you oh yeah wiped you out you can't leave out of breath yep you can't leave yeah you're stuck with him as a neighbor yep, yep. And, and i can't quite a, hear him and he's trying to talk and i you know i said like, what, what's that al how you doing al which to me is like i'm being nice don't yeah. say anything more yeah but yeah. you know yeah he takes it as an invitation to start you know what are you planting and i just said i don't know it's not it's i'm this is Sarah, sarah's call i have no idea yeah i'm just the i'm just the grunt man i'll, yeah. I'll get out there and pull weeds but that's it just yeah. I, eat, I eat what she makes yeah and you keep what you kill that was the rule from chronicles of riddick and it's the rule in the garden too <laughs> um all right so sweet al we love him and we're fans of him good man yeah good man but but he's he's not picking up what you're laying down in terms of body language and truncated right. abbreviated sentences yeah it doesn't smell what you're stepping in yeah. yeah and and he is a turtle um yeah he's sort of bent over and it's like we used to call him al the turtle mm. and um, i kind of felt bad about that yeah except i looked into his yard and he has two miniature uh turtle statues on his deck so Ooh. it's like he knows it he owns he's it. embraced it so to okay. call him that's fair al the turtle is just to sort of participate with him in his own identity construction, <laughs> you know. And uh, if Tim, if Tim Stafford were an animal, just right now, off the top of your head, what would he be? Let's go, Tim oh, the man. what? A Wolverine. Yes. Oh, all, right. all right, Mike the what? Be careful. Oh, Mike. first thing. Polar first bear. thing, polar bear. All right, I like that. Yeah. Both deadly. I like. Fearsome. I like Coke. Um, and that's totally fine. <laughs> I just yeah. brought that full circle. Yes. Well, the, yeah. it was always the Christmas commercials, right? Of the family yeah. of polar bears drinking a Coke oh, yeah. together. That's what that that's was. Right. I that's was it do. was multi-layered pull, uh, yeah. Mr. Gumbus. That's right. See, that's what I brought. That's the game I brought to the Tony Kornheiser show. <laughs> Drawing together two inside jokes and just, it was awesome. Oh, uh, so... Any other, I mean, Tim, Stafford, do you have anything else you want to know just that's not 
exactly on topic. I mean, because I, I could I could listen to to this sort of nonsense forever. I just absolutely think it's amazing. And having lived in the Midwest, I know the Olympic Games that is your yard care oh, yeah. <laughs> that exists between neighbors. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're retired. You're sandwiched between two retired guys. Oh, man. These guys got all the time in the world. It's, and they're, and they're putters. I mean, frankly, I do too now, but... that's coming to an end it is well i mean yeah i've got to figure something out oh okay got some possibilities and options but we'll see oh yeah talking to some schools and you know no what a waste we'll see we'll see all right we want to we'll hear more about that off air yeah mr gombas uh stafford anything you want to add you want to tell you want to tell uh, Mr. Gambas, about our uh, Voxology radio channel. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to be a DJ. I was at a couple of different moments in my life, but I found a feature on Anchor that lets you basically make a radio show. You can use all the really? music on Spotify and then talk in between the songs. Oh, so nice. we started doing. We did a Pearl Jam episode on this week. Oh, cool! Yeah. So if you it's have, fun. I mean, and if I hear about you having a twelve-hour drive through that hits any part of Tennessee and I don't get a text or oh you dude have, I thought of you because I was going to stop in Columbus I was like I was going to text go. you but then I'm like oh he's not there anymore no I appreciate that okay I'll take that yeah because I drove I came through town on the way back but nice from from uh, Springfield well from Virginia coming back yeah 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 but all right well listen I don't know Tim if you've been following the news um, there are a few things that have been going on lately that seem like they're big deals. And I just wanted to make you aware of them. Number one, um, baseball season is happening. Oh, and yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of had forgotten. I'm, I know you didn't, but I, I don't know how the Cubs are or my Guardians, my Cleveland Guardians. Are the Not Cubs fantastic. out al- already? Yeah, they're going to be battling uh with the pittsburgh pirates for the bottom of the division this year so <laughs> well it's going to be a noble fight i bet but it's yeah not it's not going to be a stellar season okay that's fair how are yeah. the cleveland guardians i have are not we... paid attention i don't know i don't i haven't checked in on the uh the american league oh, how okay. are they doing I, I i don't i really don't know yeah i don't uh i just finished breaking bad so that it, that oh, yeah. absorbed my spring no i totally get it yeah, that was incredible. So I'm just shifting off of... You finished it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we finished it, and then we started the Better Call Saul. You also have uh, El Camino. We watched, yeah, we watched you El Camino. Okay. Yes. And did you like it? Um... Okay, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do a movie <laughs> review later. Gombas. Yeah. A, a, a secondarily... Uh, important thing to uh, and, and really uh, America's next favorite pastime is culture warring and um, <laughs> there was this as you know this leak of a uh, oh yeah some sort of opinion whether it's in final form or not uh, regarding Roe v. Wade and that sort of brought into the forefront something that had not been gone from the forefront for very long, which is this this constant antagonism that is cultivated seemingly everywhere about how it is that we discuss and reflect on 
um, uh, topics that matter to all of us. And so my question for you and topic for conversation today is this idea of culture war as a picture for what it is that Christians ought to be doing in the world. And um, do you have any thoughts about kind of where that motif started, uh, at least in the American um, horizon, uh, where it is that Christians sort of became or came to the understanding that the way we are to relate to the world is to try to influence it in its morality in these specific directions. Is there, is there, a, is there a background to that that you've kind of seen, whether it's in um, issues of race or gender or whatever? Man, that's a good question. Uh, I, think, <clears throat> I think it goes back to um, the very beginning. I mean, if, I don't know if you guys read John Fia's little book called Believe Me, uh, something about the evangelical road to Donald Trump, I think is the subtitle. It's, um, it's published by Erdman's, so I highly recommend purchasing it. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> copies. Keep my spouse employed. Um, it is... He goes. He he traces it back uh, in many ways to um, the arrival of white Europeans on this continent. Mm. So it's not like a recent development in the last hundred years or or the nineteen seventies or anything like that. I think it goes back to the very founding when John Winthrop landed uh, and talked about how what what they were building in this new land was a city on a hill, like this mm. country. They're building a country, this new nation that was going to be basically the Christian nation. It was going to be, you know, so, so taking biblical metaphors to talk about what America is and what, what they're doing, what this, you know, this mm. nation eventually was going to be. And um, so I think that, that that idea has a, that idea and that posture toward this country has a long history to the very beginning. Um, like, um, so the notion that this is a Christian country or this was a Christian country, um, that, that articulation of American identity has behind it like ownership, like this is ours. This was given to us by God. And so we are entitled to it. Hmm. And um, that from the very beginning, drove all kinds of subhuman anti-christian behaviors mm. so um that kind of way of thinking drove uh, the genocide of um the betrayal and genocide of uh, native peoples to this land i mean this land was not discovered um by white right. europeans it was it was inhabited <laughs> and then yep. over the next couple of centuries you know um folks made agreements with with original tribes that were here and um, ended up betraying a lot of, I mean, pretty much all those agreements and driving people off their land, murder, plunder, rape, theft, um, in the name of the God who is the father of Jesus Christ. So, um, I mean, clear, absolute, direct um, yeah. oppositional behavior to what Jesus calls um, people to be and to do and to um did you see that did you see the tweet from georgia republican candidate candace taylor 
no. who actually references the fact that our founding fathers came to destroy American Indians so that we could worship Jesus freely as oh, a wow. positive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah wow, there's a incredible. clip. And I don't know how she nuances it elsewhere, but in the clip, it is it is by far one of the more egregious examples. Yeah, it's a clear the, statement. The, the Christian narrative. Yeah. Um, well, these what's, in, what's really incredible reading American history is that this stuff was like, this was all so plainly spoken. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Talking about savages that were already here that need to be driven off the land. And then um, talking about African people who were brought here as free labor to build, you know, um, to build an economically prosperous nation. It's, it's astonishing. I mean, it's, um, it's way beyond, it's, it's hard to even capture with words. So to, I mean, the most basic teaching of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself has to be, I mean, not only disregarded, but just completely thrown out in order to, to have that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the culture wars that we see today um, have that same impulse behind it. Mm. This is ours. It's been taken from us and it's our job to get it back. Mm. And, and in varying levels of violence. And we, you know, we, we have different words for that, you know, influence, impact, yeah. um, engaging the culture, confronting the culture, shaping the culture, whatever. It, it, it all is sort of violent language of like, it, we are going to impose our will on this place because it's, it's God's and it was taken from, you know, it, it, it's, it's God's, therefore it's ours and it's been taken from us. And we want to see to it that it, it once again honors God or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, the, the founding was, it primed the culture wars. Theologically, where do you, where do you see people grounding that impulse? Boy, oh boy. Um, man, I don't know how you could possibly theologically ground it in anything. Um, maybe in some kind of evangelical identity, like mm-hmm. um, evangelistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking that it's our job uh, to preach the gospel and um, shape people in our image or something like that. Um, and, and, that, and influence the state. Yeah, there's a natural step to like um, influencing the larger nation. And then as I was a David Brody, who was, wrote a spiritual biography of Donald Trump, talked about how uh, evangelicals have, I just remember this line, evangelicals have always sought to control the culture, mm. which is just violence, like the imposition of our will on the rest of people. Um, I but think how do you that, how do you reconcile that with democracy, that we're invited to state our opinion and to vote? Well, as was shown um, <laughs> last, uh, you know, January a year and a half ago, uh, democracy is a massive impediment to this sort of thing. And as you know, Republicans um, are doing these days, just basically uh, scaling back democracy in favor of some kind of authoritarian structure. I'm mean, just taking away the right to vote um, from a bunch of folks. But yeah, de- uh, democracy is an inconvenience to this kind of a vision. Mm. And it seems to me that a lot of Christian, quote unquote, Christian, quote unquote, leaders get this. I mean, um, Franklin Graham has had a lot of laudatory things to say about Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. And um, other Christian leaders have had a lot of great things to say about um, autocrats in, um, in Eastern Europe. 
so um yeah democracy is going to be pretty threatened it seems to me um democracy has always been a very unstable reality because it was never it was never realized fully Hmm. um you know black people women have have um never been fully included in the larger national story and then when they were it, uh, you know, the sort of the biggest moment of inclusivity and full participation in the late 60s was the start of the reversal when uh, a lot of evangelical figures and certainly Republican folks began building, starting in about 1970, um, the pushback against um, all the progress made in the civil rights era. So what we have now in the shape of the Supreme Court, the ground was laid for that in 1970. Um, you know, the dismant, the slow dismantling of democracy by, mm-hmm. and the abortion, um, anti-abortion movement is wrapped up in that. Yeah. Um, you know, the shaping of the Supreme Court to dismantle um, all the gains in the progressive era and um, the way that, um, you know, sort of figures on the right have ensured that evangelicals will always be behind that is to tie abortion politics in with that. So I don't know whether or not evangelicals realize they're part of a larger push. Um, they, they, they just might. I mean, the rhetoric coming from evangelical leaders over the last 50 years is so kind of um, pro a certain kind of economic vision hmm. that it feels like it's almost biblical to many people. I know, you know, when I was growing up, it did to me. But yeah. just, to, just to get back to what you previously asked, like how do you theologically ground American identity? Um, a lot of figures in the um, you know 1600s, 1700s grounded American identity in some kind of transference to like the New Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. everything that Israel was called to be, um, that's mm-hmm. what America is called to be. Of course, Israel was not called to you know do what America has done. But anyway, <laughs> but weren't they in the in the Promised Land? I mean, I'm just being facetious, but you know. Yeah, there's, yeah, there, it's, yeah, that's, I mean, there is um, a biblical precedent for the genocide of indigenous people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a complicated issue. Um, you know, uh, Israel was called to be the agent in discrete instances of God's judgment on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever Israel just went to war or engaged in combat without God's express command, I mean, they were doomed to defeat. <laughs> but, <laughs> But yeah, that's in there, and that's a that's a frightening part of the biblical story. That's very complex, uh, very uh, very difficult, I would say, to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's kind of harrowing in that sense. But yeah, that was all that was all um, used to justify how white Europeans treated mm. um, um, native people, for sure. Yeah. Um, when you when you look at the configuration of culture war today on both. This is a both sidesing. I mean, culture war, it takes two to culture war, at least. Um, <laughs> at least uh, at least I think so. I'm not sure it does. I wonder about that. Okay. Oh, oh. Well, first of all, um, I don't have a doctorate. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to roll over. No. Um but I do see I see I see culture war impulses on on the left, too. Okay. I guess whether they're necessary or not. Do you not see that? Do you see Do you see the right just purely as kind of the aggressor in this? 
Um, I see people on the left um, advocating and I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I like the word fighting, but yeah, I mean, that, that language is used, I bet. Um, advocating for the full inclusion of all people in the process. So they're advocating for fair treatment of everybody. And it seems to me that people on the right are advocating for um, their ability to control other people. Mm. Does that make sense? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's agitation on both sides, but when one when one side is advocating, hey, we just want we just want to be left alone. We just don't want to be controlled. Um, we want, uh, say, you know, trans kids to be able to go to school, or LGBTQ plus kids to be able to go to school and be left alone. Yeah, that's that's different than no. We want to sort of um, control how parents parent their children. You know what I mean? It's, so it's mm-hmm. there on the right. There's an agitation for power. And um, on the left, there's like an agitation for uh, pluralistic kind of peace. I, yeah, I think I think people would quibble with that. I, I think fine. on some of the extreme left, there there is an agenda or an agitation towards for control. Yeah, but but regardless, that's not at all central. There's I was not, a, not as good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um, Hey, we've been trained in this for years. So, so I, got, on the- I have a, I have a two part question for both of you. One, I was reading an article this week that was, um, railing against any kind of pro choice stance. It was actually railing against Tim Keller who had kind of a nuanced response to, um, saying, Hey, we can't, we can't necessarily legislate people. Um, that's not, that has proven that it doesn't work and it's not what we're called to there are better and more constructive ways of going about abortion politics. Uh, but in the article, the guy referenced, um, you know, I know we're called to love our enemy, but, um, <laughs> it's always really but. Yeah. yeah it's, any it's really but after that, you've, you've lost it. The, the claim is that the, the biggest part of love your enemy is that there is in fact an enemy and that you have to like, so that's what we should be taking away is that we do have enemies. We are in a battle we are in a war and that seems to be the such a big piece of the rhetoric for so long is that we have to have an enemy we have to have we're always have to be coming up against something a why is that where does that come from why is that seem to be the driving force in so much of our christian like identity is that we have to be against something there ha- we have to be under threat we have to be marginalized even when we're the ones in power and then just in culture war in general, Mike, you said this last week, I think a little bit like we're not called to come or I don't know, define how we engage in standing up for what is right within this culture mm. war climate. Those are my questions for you, Brainiacs. Yeah, those are good. What would you say, Mike? No, oh, you don't get to punt to me there. First of all, no one calls me doctor. I mean, I've tried that with my <laughs> no wife. No one calls me and, that either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say as to the first, um, always needing um, an enemy. I mean, th- that's we know that that is the most popular way to unify a group and to um, agitate towards policy or fundraising or whatever. Having an enemy... And defining a boundary is, is the easiest way to give a group an identity or to give an individual an identity. 
Do you think that that's become such a commonplace thing that now that's sewn into our like absolutely understanding? Like it's not as it's not even as intentional anymore. It's just part of our governing process. Yeah, I mean, sense? I I I don't I don't know how anybody could. Or is there an dis- Illuminati that's pulling like a Christian Illuminati that's? Uh, oh, of course, making the plans every year. They decide Max, what day Easter is on, and then they also. Yeah, Max Lucado is a part of that. Is what I heard. So <laughs> I've I've always had suspicions about that guy. Well, is that something you'd agree with, Professor? Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. I, I um, yeah. Having a group to be able to define yourself over against is mm-hmm. a great way to build like tribal cohesion. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, this is, I mean, from the beginning of time, this is how um, ambitious leaders then mm. uh, establish credibility um, and gain a following is by drawing on fears, exploiting fears and suspicions and desires for safety and security um, by demonizing some group as a threat and seeing them as a threat. And um, all of that is absolutely deadly. Yeah. I mean, for if you for to be a Christian, um, I I don't see I don't I think that that's an, an inappropriate way of reckoning with Jesus's command to love your enemies i see that as a (laughs) as a way of life like Mm -hmm. any group any any person born into a group um inherits quote-unquote enemies or people that are on the outside of our group that's right and the way of jesus involves a lifelong and you know generations long for a community process of turning enemies into friends and so it's like the gradual pursuit of eliminating the category enemy Yes. as we go as we go about making peace it doesn't it doesn't sort of see enemy as a static category it's, it's one that should always be diminishing right you know? and that what That's was the really example good. a great example was that the guy that was befriending all the kkk oh dude yeah. Yeah. They would yeah collect their collect their robes as they became it was a black man in the south and he, yeah as he became friends with them he would collect their robes and he has like a closet full of all these guys that he has developed relationships with that that's you know, it yeah, That's a powerful example. Yeah, there's some people that have done this um, who may or may not be Christian, which is, um, I think it, it shames the people that make a Christian confession. Um, Sarah Silverman was doing this after the 2016 election. She went around uh, different mm. parts of the country, you know, interviewing people, trying to really understand where people are coming from. It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great. Uh, a great way to do the very thing that Jesus says to do, mm. you know, just to transform relationships through hospitality and conversation, kindness. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, and um, and, and then Paul, of course, explicitly redefines battle, war, that whole imagery around. Uh, on the basis of a community against the powers and principalities who are trying to divide us. So the very act of naming enemies, we're empowering the powers almost along lines of difference. Um, And so the church stands as the place where those lines of difference are overcome through exactly that hospitality, kindness, um, compassion, inclusion, all those things. Intentional peacemaking and where where we can't, where, where those efforts are stymied, we grieve. Right, you know, it's, yes, not like, we it's not like we say, 
you know, we tried to make peace with these people, but it failed. So we're going to slaughter them or we're going <laughs> to de- demonize them or whatever. You right. Know? So how do uh, we engage? I mean, what would be some thoughts around how do we engage in public policy? Because we're invited to vote and to have opinions without that energizing of antagonism or demonization or enemy making um how how would how would paul or jesus or anybody how would they give us a different metaphor maybe or image for understanding our relationship to the world this seems to be like like one of the hardest things right now because i you know tim earlier you brought up like i don't know if people are waking up to the reality of how the evangelical church has been x y and z and there does seem to be a very large component of you know maybe younger evangelicals or people who have gone through the, the quote-unquote deconstruction process that you know the, the trump years obviously woke up a lot of people to say whoa this is not what i thought i was a part of yeah something so happened to my people <laughs> yeah there's definitely a split there where where people have kind of polarized a little bit harder within quote-unquote the same tribe or whatever that have kind of moved out to the sides of it. And the reason I thought of this question this week was because I was watching um, Sean Foyt and Greg Locke at, in front of the Capitol just <laughs> going This is not good for you, Stafford. This know, is not good for your heart. You know, we know that the negative voices always capture the most airtime. Obviously, they're seeking to capture as much airtime as possible. I don't want to take their own agency out of what they're doing, but they were out there screaming and yelling and Locke was doing his thing and Sean Foyt was doing his thing. And um, those are the loudest voices in the room. They are affecting people's um, thinking and voting and all that kind of stuff. And obviously it doesn't seem prudent to go stand in the other corner and do the same thing with opposite rhetoric, but how and where, and you know, and sorry to curtail Mike, what you were starting with that. Yeah, but. seriously. What, You're always stomping on my toe, Stafford. Those are emails we get quite a bit is like, how do I do, like, what do I do with this? What is my role in this? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I to be a peacemaker within um, this climate that is so agitated and so fragile mm-hmm. and so angry? and Where I have opinions about, and I'm invited yeah. to have opinions and express exactly. those opinions. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's hard. It's really tough. <laughs> I think, um, yeah. I mean, the high road is always the hardest route to take. The path of peacemaking is, um, is well, just like you said, Mike, in Ephesians 6, like that Paul, he brings that battle language to bear in peacemaking. You know, I mean, this, this is, you know, put on this weaponry, um, you know, which one of which is like the gospel of peace, um, which calls the church to practices of peacemaking in the battle to stand against the powers in their seducing us into postures of anger and and actually seeing ourselves as enemies of other humans. Mm, that's good. But I mean, it's like to me, I think a lot of this requires practices of of um of quiet i think there's a lot of opportunities for us to not really say a whole lot in conversations where there's a lot of anger Mm. um i think uh from i mean this is just what i've tried to do try to cultivate conversational patterns of asking questions of um 
um, not responding, not participating when the heat gets turned up. Um, a couple times calling out, uh, asking, you know, why is someone so, you know, uh, the fruit of the spirit as opposed to the works of the flesh, the, the works of the flesh, one of those is outbursts of anger. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, James says that human anger does not effect or does not bring about the righteousness of God. So there's something sinister about human anger or, or at least precarious. Mm-hmm. Anger is an appropriate response to injustice. But whenever we're angry, we, I think we have to understand that that's, that's a very precarious moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, for, I mean, this is just what I do. I've tried uh, over the last bunch of years to, um, to, to read other perspectives than what I was raised with, mm-hmm. um, to figure out, you know, what, what pressures, what unique pressures are brought to bear, um, on black communities. So learning about the, the historic black community, uh, historic black experience in America, um, has been really eye-opening to me because I was raised in a evangelical white uh, middle upper middle class context that shaped my imagination to see um, there's a right path. Mm. Uh, there's a whole lot of wrong going on and here are the reasons and here's what it should have looked like. And here's how it doesn't look mm. like that. And here's how it has to change. And um, it seems to me that so much of that was driven by um, a desire to accumulate a desire to hold on to what we have and make sure that no one else takes it. Mm. And um those are not really appropriate ways of seeing myself in the world. So hmm. it seems to me that when I think about engaging the world, whatever that means, <laughs> or, or living in my neighborhood, it seems to me that the dominant metaphor should be be a good neighbor. But be see, a good okay. Neighbor. But, and, but Tim, yeah. yeah, here's where if I can't stomp on Stafford, I'm going to stomp on any Tim I can get a hold of. Um, no, I, I wanted to interrupt and say, this is where your work on Christian identity has been formative for me, because that's that? where it starts. Well, I, I didn't know that I inherited a way of understanding what it meant to be Christian in the world. Mm-hmm. To be Christian in the world meant you believed things, you did things, but that was also a way of seeing my role in the world as yeah. an agent of god's kingdom but that even that language led into postures of evangelism and certain voting patterns and community patterns and relating yeah to people and so when we go back and unwind what christian is and you start with kind of a cruciform definition then a lot of those questions downstream are answered differently because you oh, yeah. began at such a different different place so so one of the ways you've your work and gorman's work has been super helpful for me personally has been yeah all of those patterns that you engage in yes 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 but those patterns only help me if i'm coming at them from a place that radically redefines what it is to be christian in the world Totally. And so I'd love you, if you wouldn't mind riffing a bit on that. So if we were to say, okay, Tim, what does it mean to be a Christian in the world? Um, where do you start? And then, and then how does that work its way downstream to wh- how, how do I vote as a cruciform person? How do I hold policy opinions as a cruciform person? How do I relate 
to people who are antagonistic as a cruciform for person because yeah. obviously i'm gonna have thoughts about abortion and um sexual minorities and all of those sorts of things but the goal is to not be defined by those and so how do we so so from what spot should we start with christian identity let's just like kind of yeah. start there yeah i think it's um you know the fundamental teachings of jesus are uh you know love your neighbor as yourself you you look after yourself you know when you're tired you take a nap when you're hungry you get yourself food so that's how you ought to be treating your neighbor being attentive to what their needs desires are for self-preservation and just you know how to treat other people with dignity dignity as if they just massively matter and um so and and then and then also um being a good neighbor entails or you know being a transformed human entails um an absolute priority on the richness of human community so i i'm somebody who is in relation with my neighbors and um their their relationships of reciprocity because that's god's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. original design like we give and receive gifts none of us yeah. seek to control the other we're bear um, one another's burdens love yeah. one another serve one and another when it's i love my neighbor as myself um when i'm loving my neighbor that's defined by my neighbor so huge um, point so i'm playing a, i i participate in the world with my fellow humans just like a good neighbor what, what can we do to, to make our lives better in this neighborhood um and how can we look out for one another when people have needs and that sort of thing so i'm thinking about my neighborhood um, and I also think about, um, when I think about living in the world, I cannot think of myself apart from my identity in the church. Yeah. I'm part, that's my primal identity. I'm baptized into that body of people. Mm -hmm. And so we, as a group of people are, um, looking to establish friendships and partnerships of mutuality and reciprocity in our, our larger neighborhood and in our city. And so when I'm thinking now, I'm thinking more widely as far as um my neighbors throughout the city mm -hmm. and what i know is that you know grand rapids michigan um routinely the number one or two best place in america to raise a family is um that that's always kind of um trotted out there is that a and, poll taken by grand rapids people i mean does anyone else have be. say in that just because, advertise that yeah okay <laughs> um, I think someone just said it at some point. Oh, I don't goodness. know. I was sent. Yeah, to, nice. We moved here 11 years ago. We were sent that ranking, thinking, "Oh yeah, this is awesome, man. We're gonna our kids are gonna just be the best people ever." <laughs> well, um, this is Grand Rapids. Is um, you know these are all economic indicators, and it's also mm. by social and economic indicators. It's one of the most difficult, stressful places in America to live as a black person. Mm. So those are my neighbors. I'm mm -hmm. called to love my neighbor as myself. That matters to me. And so um, we talk about this at our church. What, what is going on that that's happening? Mm -hmm. um, so if I'm loving my neighbor as myself and I'm a political actor and we as the church are political actors, we have to start imagining um, that what matters is people who have been mistreated. Um, that, that, that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So when i think about um kind of agitating in public or uh, my participation in political processes um i was taught to think 
um, what politician is running on a lower tax rate? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want less of my money taken away in taxes. That, yeah. that matters. Yeah, you more know, of my rights values. enforced. Yes. In my rights. Yeah. Um, so like that, those were the things that mattered. Mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who is baptized into the death of Christ, who has already surrendered all my stuff and everything, I can't talk like that. I can't say, well, what matters in this city, state, country is that my stuff, less of my stuff be taken away in taxes. Mm-hmm. I have to think in terms of, hey, the way that the way that some of these folks in our city are being mistreated is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. What are the policies that are being um, propagated that further the oppression of people who we've all just gotten used to them being oppressed? We call that normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, I've come to see that we have, there's a whole middle-class way of thinking about mm. um, people trapped in urban poverty. Mm. And um, we have ways of justifying that ideologically by blaming them. So when I think politically, or when I think about voting, which is you know one of the most anemic ways of participating <laughs> in culture politically, but it's important, but it's yeah. important. I'm just, our, our political behaviors ought to be far more involved routinely. Yes, yes. But when I think about voting, I, I mean, honestly, um, it's obscene how much money I have. I, we just have, we have so much. And if the tax rate for our family goes up from say 26% to 30% a year, um, our lives are not going to be much different, Mm. but, um, if certain policies are enacted, uh, in our city, that's going to affect people who are right on the edge, you know, whatever Mm. they're ethnicity is uh, Mm -hmm. a race. So what are those kinds of things? So that makes me do my research about voting a bit differently. How are, how are my neighbors being affected by policies that are made? Um, And then I think we, as the church can, can think about how we might act as advocates for the just treatment of other people so that other Mm -hmm. people are treated with full dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, those are my general approaches. Yeah. Uh, I can't think about, myself and my interests. I have to think I have interests. I, I, I want my comfort um, because I follow this teacher who says, okay, track your thinking patterns. Now apply all of those thinking patterns to other people around you. Mm. Um, mm. And so I have to be thinking about, all right, well, what will keep money in the pockets of single moms working two or three jobs that are and they're right on the edge. What are some of the housing policies? What are, mm-hmm. is it, is it a, um, is it acceptable at all that we tie school funding to property taxes? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all policies that just sound, well, it's just a policy. Mm-hmm. These are policies that reinforce injustices mm-hmm. um, so that uh, we as a nation agree that some children are just not worth looking after, whereas other children are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to, so just to back, pull back to summarize, I just think radicalizing and sort of pushing out that command as a political command, you know, loving our neighbors as ourselves Mm -hmm. and, you know, who's, who's my neighbor, um, some smart aleck asks Jesus and it's like, you know, the person across the border or the person that you don't, you don't see. So I don't know. Those are all some of my, and then I, I was, for me, I, I want to know like 
what ha- what are the dynamics that have trained me to not think that way? Mm. Um, and there's there is a conspiracy in America. We've all signed up to it, where people like you guys and me, white men, um, have sort of been trained by America to not see black spaces, mm. um, to not see um, you know, immigrant communities, and to mm-hmm. not see them as important. So you know we have right. to look for them, or or yeah. to not see uh, rural poverty. Um, to, to not see the groups of people in our culture, um, that are for whom life is difficult. Mm. Like, like I, uh, this friend of mine, Marin is helping me to understand that I'm not only a white male, I'm also fully abled. Mm. And it's like, I've been trained to not see people with disabilities, mm-hmm. people who are disabled, um, what, what is life like for them? What, what was COVID like for them? Mm. Um, when caregivers couldn't enter their homes. I mean, you know, we talked about this during quarantine. I mean, it was like my fantasy came true. I couldn't believe that I didn't have to go out into public for months. It was like the, <laughs> I miss it so bad. But it's all right. Like, we have monkey pox coming. It's fine. Sweet. <laughs> but it's like, man, life got complicated for Marin. And, I, you know, it, it's just so. So um, when we talk about cutting funding or when Mitch McConnell <clears throat> talks about, you know, high on the Republican priority list is entitlement reform. That's such a clinical mm. that's such a clinical expression. Uh, entitlement reform is going to be on the agenda for Republicans. Well, what that means is money for people who quote unquote don't deserve it, but feel they're entitled to it. Well, I don't think they feel they're entitled to it. I mean, perhaps we as a nation care about those who um, are less advantaged than we are. Mm. And maybe maybe that's a good thing, Mitch. Um, And speaking about (laughs) entitlement, daggummit, uh, someone really has made a fortune being in the Senate. Mm. So I mean, who, who's getting a handout is what right. I want to know, Mitch. <laughs> Moscow, Mitch. <laughs> Moscow, Mitch. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, all right. So, so the predominant, <laughs> or maybe not predominant, but maybe the the image that I should carry around in my brain as I am I am someone on a cross, and I have renounced my rights in service of others. And that is the posture I have in the world. So when I'm making voting choices, I'm looking at those places and culture that that I've been trained not to look at and to agitate or advocate for those, for policies that help my neighbors in ways where they've been neglected or whatever. Sure, yeah. Um, If you take a topic like abortion, and let's say you believe that life begins at conception or by the end of the first trimester or whenever. And you have a culture that values very much individual rights. On the other side, too, how do you, how do you work out what love of neighbor looks like then? When my neighbor says, hey, I think we should... And I'm, and I'm playing every role of devil's advocate imaginable just to set up the question. But, but if you believe that that's, that's murder at some point, uh, debatable when, and my neighbor says, well, I think we should have the right to, 
to do that even if if the child's born and and is you know deformed or whatever d- disabled and you very much disagree with that then then how does love of neighbor best begin to express itself in scenarios where you advocate for a different good than your neighbor would yeah that's a that's a really great question um um or i don't know yeah yeah well my first of all um i want to recognize i mean my general approach to any of these kinds of things are to understand how do we get here Mm. what's the history of this discussion Mm. so um the history of christian thinking um, is quite complex. And uh, Michael Gorman actually wrote a book on that. I think it was his first yeah, book. Abortion in the Early Church. Yeah. And he wrote a Facebook post on this the other day that I wanted ah. to take the time to read, but it would have taken more than two and a half minutes. So I, I, it's, <laughs> I've got that flag to go back and check out. Um, and so I want to understand the history of the discussion. That's good. And then for me as a Christian person, I want to know um, – for myself, this is just some self-reflection. Um, how is my participating in these discussions and how is my sort of loyalty to our group and my assuming that the way that we talk about all this is right? How how does holding all of that shape me and shape us as a community? Mm. Um, and what I've come to see is um, abortion politics have shaped conservative Christian white people um in ways that are terrible in in ways that are just plain awful Mm. um they have fired the way that we hold these things um um has fostered the demonization of others which jesus says not to do um it's it's drawn us away from love of neighbor kind of postures to sort of Mm. control our neighbor postures Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's not good um yeah and, and a lot of other um, a lot of other practices and patterns of behaving that are not Christian. So th- so that's problematic for me. Yep. Yep. Um, also, yep. I um, I think it's important to understand the history of abortion politics since um, the nineteen early nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. and to see that there were forces at work to create a voting block, a reliable voting block. Um, and that was evangelical people. And so there was sort of this casting about by a bunch of um, not great characters uh, to try to find an issue that would fire up evangelical voters. And Mm. as the seventies wore on, abortion was chosen because it got some, they were able to sort of use it for those purposes. Yeah. Um, And that those folks have drawn and sort of locked in evangelical voters to their agenda. And it is an agenda that is making life uh, increasingly difficult in America for black people, for immigrants, uh, for the poor of any ethnicity, uh, for the uh, differently abled or the disabled. Um, and, and so it's been, it's been drawn into a larger national movement of oppression. So that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to, um, thinking about what to do about abortion, my first thought has got to be I'm part of a body of people who are a political people mm-hmm. first and only because we're, we're all in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when I think about political action in the wider sphere, I want to think in terms of what, what can the church do about abortion? Mm. And that's where, mm. um, or, or what should the church do about abortion? Right, right. Um, yep. And that is where uh, churches need to sort of get themselves together and have discussions about what, what is it like, what does it look like for us to be thoroughly Christian and um, address this issue? Um, that might mean we've got to turn it down a lot of notches, turn down the rhetoric. That might mean we need to place the issue within a larger framework or other frameworks. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I think in the process of all that, um, the process of all of those discussions is what it means to be Christian. We participate mm. in discussions where we listen to one another. We dignify mm. one another. Mm. Are there instances where abortion is appropriate? Um, are there instances where it's, it's regrettable, but, um, preferable, um, and I, you know, all these things yeah. have to be put on the table where, um, I don't know, did you say it or did Tim say, it? but Tim, you said this a little bit earlier, um, Tim Keller expressed a nuanced <laughs> opinion, yeah. which in the freighted <clears throat> culture war, if you are nuanced or measured, and you're not blasting people, yeah. you you are understood to be a traitor. Yeah. And that is that means that we are that we and I want because I want to own my spot in this culture, the subculture, that means that we've become malformed, that we are not being Christian um, <clears throat> because we feel we feel that at some point the commands of Jesus um, there are issues that are so important that at some point being Christian has to be dispensed with. Mm. Um, and, and this is, Oh, that's so good. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, um, yes. this is exactly what, you know, sort of old Testament or biblical Israel made this mistake. Um, this is, these are the, these are the mistakes that, um, Peter made. Um, and that's that, the rhetoric from that article too. Like the, you know, love your enemy, but first let's, let's really discuss enemy and that we have yeah. them and that. Yeah. When we start talking about the commands focus. of Jesus and we start using language, like, well, Jesus said this, but exactly. Um, <laughs> well, or we say things like this, um, Jesus said this about how he should behave politically. Well, how else are we gonna? And then, yes. Or oh, what like, about, what about? Yes, totally. So when we see Jesus's commands as getting in the way of what we perceive as Jesus's oh, agenda, oh. it's like we obviously have missed something. Yes. And we hear this all the time. Preach. Um, or so as Jesus, they would say in Breaking Bad, church, yo. <laughs> that means it's, it's sacred this text. Is so, this is, I don't even want to admit this, but I have watched two episodes <laughs> of Breaking Bad and I, I well. feel it's such an overwhelming project to actually watch it. I haven't started, it. it's but right. I'm going it's to. Right. This well, the summer, second I'm episode, you now there's, I'm doing it. Yeah, do, you need to do it. This summer, I know. My, all, my whole family did. I just, I don't remember what I was doing at the time. I, I don't know. It must have been 2016 <laughs> when all I was doing was. You were calling into sports radio shows, my friend. I was calling friend. sports radio. I was calling Colin. All right, listen, Tim, I'm going to stop us right here on this topic because that okay. was freaking amazing. In the future, it would be awesome to have a conversation about just nuance and yes like yeah defining that and defining the difference Care. between that and kind of just the black and white yeah like, i think it'd be a really interesting yeah. you could oh yeah nuance 
Yeah. Or maybe somebody, uh, you can rephrase it as like, you know, the, the person in Proverbs who um, speaks wisely, <laughs> you know, things are so important. We can't afford to, you know, embody what the Proverbs say about how to use our mouths. It's like, it's really bad, <laughs> but that's, that's really the mistake that we have made as that we're driven to as, as a mm. Christian people. Like this issue is so important. Like the LGBTQ issue is so important. We can't afford to be Christian in this instance. It won't get us yeah. where we need to go. Yeah. So, so yes. Oh my That's, goodness. All right. So one last thing about how abortion politics have shaped us. I have a good friend um, whose life has been marked by her having had an abortion when she was mm. a teenager. And what she knows for doggone sure is that the one place that she will not be able to share her story and work toward healing is the church. Yeah. Come on. And so oh man. What um that's one further way in which the church has become a place that's inhospitable to people who, you know, because of their because of whatever reason, it, the, the reason never matters. Yeah. Mm. Um people whose lives bear scars know that they cannot enter a church and work through those and that's that's a heart that's heartbreaking. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Man, that's really so good. Is. Yeah, you're right, Tim. Thank you for giving us just so much time to sort of process a framework. Because I mean, I'm I'm interested less in an answer and more in an approach. What is the what is a Christian way that's different from the Christian way I inherited? To yeah. kind of process all of this that's going on in the culture. So, man, we're always so grateful for you. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think about this all the time. When Mary Mary's song, The Magnificat, mm -hmm. when she celebrates how the gospel is good news for the poor, um, and she's a woman, gospel is good news for women. Mm -hmm. And so if the church is not good news for the poor, or the church, which is the creation of the gospel, if the church is not good news for women and for the poor, something's off. Yeah. Anyway. That'll preach. Or as, politics. They, as my friends say, church yo <laughs>